Jesus and storms. Jesus and storms. I want you to find your way, please, to uh, Matthew chapter 14. And let's, as Paul instructed, give attention to the public reading of Scripture this morning for some of these verses. You'll recognize the story almost as soon as we get started with it. Here's how it begins, Matthew 14, verse 22. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he was sending the multitudes away. He has just fed the 5,000. Five loaves, five tortillas, five biscuits, five loaves, and two fish. Two. You know, I, I, we were on a trip to the Holy Land several years ago, and I made the mistake of suggesting that the two fish might have been catfish, <laughs> which I was reminded by our Jewish guide that catfish were unclean fish. So, you know, maybe they were largemouth bass. Maybe they were white perch. I don't know what they were, but five loaves and two fish and Jesus just kept breaking them after he had blessed them and asked the Father's blessing. He just kept breaking those biscuits and tearing off the tortillas, whatever it was. And as he broke it, it just kept multiplying. So much so <clears throat> that 5,000 men, you just think about how much hungry men could eat, not counting the women and children that were gathered in that place. And they all ate until they were full, and there were baskets gathered up by the disciples left over. An amazing creation miracle all over again, done by Jesus. Well, after that, he sends the multitudes away, and he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. I just need to insert this because we're going to talk about a storm coming. <clears throat> now, when Jesus assigns us a mission where he says, this is what I want you to do and this is where I want you to go, isn't it interesting that he doesn't always fill in all of the details between the point where we get in the boat and push off from the bank to where we're going to depart the boat on the other side of the lake. He didn't say a word about the contrary wind that was coming. But make no mistake about it, child of God, follower of Jesus, if he has assigned you a mission, all hell can break loose between the start of that assignment and the completion of that assignment. All hell may break loose, but it has not the power to diminish the outcome, to stop it from being completed. What the Lord has assigned, the Lord takes the responsibility for the completion of it. We need to hold on to that because the plot is about to thicken. All, his, all the disciples knew at this point was the assignment was to cross the lake. Some way or another, they were going to meet Jesus on the other side. They could have had a brief conversation among themselves. This is the only boat we've got. He's told us to go to the other side. Wonder how he's going to get there. Now see, they hadn't, Matthew 14 hadn't been written yet. They, they, there had been no accounting 
of this kind of thing that is about to happen that would include Simon Peter getting out of the boat and walking to Jesus. There, there, had, been, there had been no demonstration of this before. So they had to wonder. Wonder what the Lord, uh, they probably didn't put it in these terms. Wonder what the Lord is up to this time. Folks, there's one thing that storms will do for you, a number of things, but one in particular. A storm has a way of blowing up the boxes that we may have around the infinite God. He doesn't have to explain to us everything that he's doing. He doesn't have to give us his calendar he doesn't have to outline all of the purposes that he has for it. He just says, you're at point A, I want you to travel to point C, and I'll meet you at point C. And you just trust me for the in-between. Now, that's where a number of you may be, we may be this morning. That as best we know, we're trying to do the last thing Jesus told us to do. Amen? The last thing. The last thing that we felt like he told us to do, that's what we're trying to do. All right, let's, let's continue reading. Verse 23, after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia, several hundred yards away from the land battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now all the disciples knew when Jesus gave them the instruction and walked away from them, all they knew to do was just to do what he told them to do. There wasn't a whole lot of supernatural, spiritual, uh, ministry kind of stuff going on. They were just paddling their boat. And if the wind had cooperated, they could have probably put a small sail up and that would have helped them. But it says that the wind was contrary. The wind was blowing in their faces. They didn't, they didn't make a foot in the water unless they had exerted some kind of effort to get the boat that far against the wind. In order from where I'm headed with that is in order for us to be doing what the Lord has instructed us to do. It's not all going to be staring at your Bible. It's not all going to be with our hands raised in praise. Some of it is just going to be bare-knuckled muscle work, just, just doing what we do to get to where he instructed us to get. That, that's encouraging to me because I, I just want to remind folks, the Lord doesn't expect you to live in the church house. The Lord doesn't expect you to do nothing but stare at the gospel of Matthew. It's important that we do that. It's important that we, we are strengthened by the reading of the scripture and the fellowship of, of, of brothers and sisters in Christ. But he isn't just interested in you when you're singing Amazing Grace. He isn't just bent in your direction when you're doing something for the church. He's interested in you Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, when there is a sense, Lord, I'm trying to do this because I feel like it was the last thing you wanted me to do. Now, some of it is going to be praying. Some of it is going to be helping people. But some of it is just going to be grabbing the proverbial oar and rowing against the contrary winds sometimes. That doesn't mean that that's insignificant. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. You watch. He, he is deeply cared about where you are this morning. Whether or not you can define all of the things that you're doing in spiritual terms or not, he cares about you. You matter to him. Where you are is known to him. Boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between three in the morning and six in the morning, while it was still dark, in the fourth watch of the night, he came 
to them. He came to them. He came to them. He came to them. Do you get the point? that They didn't find him. They weren't looking for him. They didn't know they needed to look for him. They were just doing the last thing that he had assigned them to do. And in the times when they were going to need him the most, he found them. He came to them. He came to them. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Grown men, grown men, scared to death, scared to death, grown men. Some of them fishermen had grown up on the Sea of Galilee. Cried out for fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Take courage, he said. It's I. Do not be afraid. Now, with the wind howling, with, with, with the waves doing what the waves would do, this wasn't conversational tone talk. For the men to cry out for fear, that, that's a verb that's used in the New Testament to describe these exclamations that sometimes don't have audible words or measurable words or known words attached to them, just hollering. <laughs> they were just hollering. And instead of Jesus being four, four or five feet from them, he's out there somewhere close enough that in the pitch dark they could still see that it was a form but not sure what it was. And, and the, the form answers back to their, their shrieks and their crying out. Don't be afraid. It's me. Get a hold of yourselves, you know. Take courage. It, it wasn't this sweet little pacified, every hair in place Jesus who never knows how to, never just understood it. Everything's just always placid. Wind was blowing him, clothes, hair, waves splashing. He came to them in their storm, the storm they were in because they were just trying to do the last thing Jesus told them to do. Take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Immediately. Thomas, the doubter, who was also riding second row back, seat A, in the same boat, who said, I won't believe unless I can see the nail prints. Thomas was probably more than like in the boat. As soon as Simon Peter, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water, Thomas must have cleared his throat, stomped his foot. Peter! That's the Lord out there. You can't walk on no any water. You, what are you talking about? Now, that's not in your scripture. That's just, it might have been. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's you, come in the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, seeing what the wind could do, the waves, the spray, seeing the wind, he became afraid. He didn't start out afraid. He started out with great confidence. We'll come back to that word. But he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now watch this. And when they got into the boat, 
the wind stopped. Not until they got in the boat. Jesus and Simon Peter walking up a wave, walking down the other side of the wave, walking through the next trough, up. They walked to the boat. And then the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, you are certainly God's son. Just some principles coming out of this that are not unique to this passage of Scripture. We, we can read this, and if we see it as only a historical event, we think that was amazing. That proved the, the deity of Jesus and his power. But what in the world does that have to do with me? There are some amazing eternal principles about Jesus and storms that are embedded right here. One of them is when they said you must certainly be the Son of God, there are some things about Jesus, about his power, about his closeness, about his care for you that you never get until you walk through a storm. That it's just good theory. It, it, it's, good, it's, good, it, it's good information. But you don't know it for sure. You don't know it for sure that he's good in a storm until he comes to you in your storm. Here's, here's another one of those things that it's just probably not going to sell a lot of tapes, as preachers say. It's not going to make a lot of folks just want to stand up in the pew, pull out your handkerchief, and just pop it and say, best preaching I ever heard in my life, that preacher preached. This isn't going to be one of those, I can just tell you. But here's the principle. Here's the statement. Here's the truth. It is far more important for you to sense the presence of Jesus in the storm than for him to calm the storm. I, I, I knew, I, I knew there wouldn't be a whole lot of shouting and celebrating. That's okay. No, no, no. Because we've got to let that in. We, we, you see, if you never had a storm so big that it could kill you, that it could destroy you, destroy life as you know it. If, if you've never had a storm like that, then you would not necessarily need to know someone, know someone in your knower who is bigger than that storm, who just the presence of in the storm has the power to calm you down and to settle your heart. It's more important to sense the presence of Jesus in the storm than it is for people to straighten up and shut up and act right. For, for, for whatever would be causing the tumult in your life, more important than those things settling down and just going away is the sense that you know in your knower that the King of all kings, the Lord of glory, has come to you in your storm. <laughs> not from the bank shouting instructions, not the offensive coordinator calling plays from the press box, but he has come to you in the middle of your night and in some cases in ways that you never would have expected him, didn't even recognize him, but then it dawns on you, that's the Lord, that's the Lord, that's the Lord. He knows my name, he cares about my storm, and he has come to me. Because folks, there are going to be other storms. Jesus said you live in this world and you're going to know tribulation, but be of good cheer, be of good courage. Why? Because I've overcome the storms. I've overcome the world. So we notice, notice this too. And it's just fascinating. Jesus didn't have an entourage of, of mighty warring angels going out in front of him when he left the bank and calming the water. 
He, he didn't have the Shekinah glory of God radiating everything around him. So he's walking in the calm and he's walking in light to the boat. The devil was throwing everything he could at the disciples on that night. It wasn't God who was churning up the storm. This was a contrary wind. The devil was responsible. The enemy was responsible for the storm that night, for the contrary winds. But Jesus wanted his men to know the best that the devil can throw at you, the best he's got, watch this. And he just walks across the top. Down them, up them, over them. He just walks across the top of the best that the devil can throw. Now, folks, I'm telling you, 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 you can read books about that happening in other folks' lives, but you don't get radical. You don't get fanatical about the power of Jesus until you understand that he has come to you skipping across the top of the best that the devil could throw at you. You're not in trouble for being in a storm. You're the object of his compassion in the storm, the object of his heart in the storm. It says that he came to them. They didn't even know to holler for him. They didn't even know to call. But he knew, and he came to them. It's more important, it's more important that you know the presence of the king than it is that you know the calming of the storm. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your kingdom come and be manifest. Your kingdom come into being, your kingdom come into the presence of people. As we say often around here, you, you can't have a kingdom unless you have a king. There's no such thing as a kingdom without a king. What he's talking about, and it's tied directly to what is recorded in Acts chapter 1. Jesus is saying the coming of the kingdom is about the felt, known, measurable, sensed presence of the king in your chest. The presence of the king that you know is alive inside of you. He would say, you don't go here, you don't go there looking for the kingdom of God. You look within you. If you're going to find the kingdom of God now, before Jesus literally returns to the throne of his father David and is seated in Jerusalem, he said the kingdom now is to be found within you. For 40 days, Acts chapter 1, Jesus taught on one subject, and it was the subject of the kingdom of God. He concludes that by saying, you stay here until what John talked about happens to you, which is the same as that which the Father promised, that you would have his spirit, that the spirit of the king would be poured out in you. You'll be baptized with a spirit, with power. That will be... The outpouring, Jesus, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He ascends to the right hand of the Father, and then they're saying, here is, how, here is what this is on the day of Pentecost. It is that the Son has poured out upon us, Peter and others speaking, the Spirit of himself. Paul would say, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. The Lord, the Lord Jesus is the Spirit. The Lord, that's always who Paul would speak of when he would say the Lord. The Lord Jesus is the Spirit. The invisible presence of the King. King Jesus is the Spirit that the Lord desires to be poured out within us. But Paul will say in two prominent places, well, Acts chapter 2 is one where Peter is speaking, Luke is recording it. Act, or, um, Ephesians chapter 5, the other one where there's the reference of the Spirit. Now, don't, 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 don't throw something at me. I'm not, I'm not totally a heretic. I, I, but this, this is, this, you're not going to like this. Or maybe, maybe you will. I, let me just kind of frame that in a more positive way. You're going to love this. You're just going to love it. There are two places in the Scripture 
where getting drunk with wine, getting drunk with alcohol is set in juxtaposition to being filled with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, and the, and the comparison is, just like alcohol will alter your emotion, will alter your mind, will alter your choices, can have to do with the things that you do physically. You know about that. You know about getting drunk with wine. Don't do that, Ephesians 5. Don't get drunk with wine where there's an excess. But here's what you do. You continually stay in a place where the spirit of the living God is infusing you with his power, with his influence, with his emotions, with his will, with his ability to energize your, your being. You stay there. You continuously be being filled with the spirit as opposed to letting, my, letting alcohol take over your being like it does. Instead of that, the Spirit of God wants to do in you for the glory of God what alcohol will do for you in another way. Amen. The presence of the King. The presence of the King. So here's what we're, Jesus is saying, here's how you pray. You pray that you will be filled with the presence of the King. find this description of what it is like to be impacted by the presence of the king in the middle of the storm, and we find Simon Peter doing the most bizarre thing. Here's the connection. The presence of the king shows up in your storm. Wind's still howling, people's still freaking, stuff's still crazy, but the king shows up, and here's what happens to you. When you know he's come to find you, when you know he's there, in the middle of the unchanged storm, here's what happens. Confidence. Confidence rises up. Not confidence in you. It's a crazy contrast. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a humble confidence. You know, you can't do anything, but just the sense of his presence opens the door in your understanding, in your emotions to realize anything can happen because he's here. There are no limits except the limit as to what Satan can do and the power of the king to shut Satan down and the fact that Jesus, that Jesus will come into your storm, move into your place not just send you out on your own, but, and then he stays somewhere safe. No, this is intended for us to, to, to really receive that, that he will come to us. And, and, and the things that terrified the disciples were no big deal to Jesus. The things that would cause them to want to shiver and quake and get back to the bank Jesus is just walking across the top of and is able to come and speak to them courage, confidence. Simon Peter's response was the response of confidence. Now, I'm going to tell you in the middle of your storm, whatever your storm is, instead of spending all our time, God, just please calm that idiot down. Lord, will you please just make this thing go away? Will you just please pray? Instead of, instead of praying that way, as best you know, the last, when you started out, you, you were heading in a direction that you believed the Lord wanted you to go. And then all hell broke loose, right? So the prayer needs to be, Lord, help me to sense your presence. Holy Spirit, fill me. Kingdom of God, come. King Jesus, sit on the throne of my heart. Make your presence known here. And as that happens, you know you're not alone. You know you're not an orphan. You understand that there is a limit to the craziness of the devil. Jesus is over it all. Fill me, Lord, with the sense of your presence. Paul, Paul will say, look, look real quickly at, at Philippians chapter 4. Verse 11, Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I speak of want, from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. 
in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then here's this verse in verse 13. I can do all things through him who is giving me strength. I can do what thing? In, in the middle of things that aren't changing, whether it's barely having enough or having way more than enough, regardless of where in the continuum, where on the spectrum I find my life, here's what I find, that it is the Lord who is giving me strength. Whether it's in a context of not having much or whether it's a context of my, my pride blowing up because I have too much. It's the Lord who's giving me strength to do what I need to do, to be where I need to be, to be content, to be content, to be content, to be content, to be content with where I am. That's the same sense that's akin to this in the middle of a storm. That we wouldn't want to, if we had to choose what kind of life we'd like to live. I'm sure Peter and those others would, would, have, would have picked another way to spend an evening except for the fact that in the middle of that evening when the storm blew in, Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up. Paul, in and out of one conflict into another set of conflicts. And he says the same thing. It's the one who is giving me strength that enables me to be able to be content, that enables me to be able to take this, that enables me to be able to keep going if I need it. But he's the one who's giving me strength. How's he giving me strength? He shows up. I sense that he's in the house. Better than that, I sense that he's inside my chest. Folks, 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 we can spend so much time trying to get folks to pray for us to get this fixed and that changed and that stopped and this, this one come. And, 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 and as we are given faith to do that, do that. But what if the Lord allows those things to remain in the place because he's wanting to show us something better, something better than financial provision, something better than everybody thinking you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And the better would be the sense of no one in your knower that the most powerful being in the universe loves you. You, 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 are not, you are not off of his radar. You are not beyond his reach. He knows where you are, and he will come to you. I, I say that sometimes, and I can just feel folks checking out, checking out, checking out, come to me. What are you talking? Here's what I'm saying. I believe that it is, the, it, is the, it is in the heart of your Father, the heart of the Lord Jesus, and the whole reason the Spirit was given is so that you can feel His presence. Not just know about His presence. Not just have a theological background and verses that I know He's everywhere present, know He's all-powerful. You could have had all of that without the indwelling presence of the Spirit. The reason the Spirit was poured out, church, is so that you could feel his presence. You could feel his strength rising up in you when you didn't have any strength. And you would know that you're different, not because you tried harder, but because he's alive in you. I'm telling you. That's the bottom line. That's it. It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any stronger than that. That's heaven on this side of heaven. The living presence of the king alive in your chest. And when you know that and you sense that, it's easy to get it, that these struggles, that these places of disarray are only temporary situations. They can't last forever because he is in charge. He is in charge. He is in charge. He is in charge. Lord, ma'am, y'all can take that little one right back there if you want to. She's going to be a little, little ones are going to cry when I get this close to screaming and hollering. 
So why don't you all just take her right out there, would you? Bless you. That is a beautiful little girl. And I'm telling you, when those beautiful little girls start crying out, this grandpa is saying, get the little one some help. I get the little one some help. Y'all, y'all, y'all head on out, okay? Very good. And you can stand right back there if you want to, because I'm liable to tune up again, or she's going to. In response, I'm going to take that as an amen. Just say, preach it, preacher. Out of the mouth of babes. Out of the mouth of babes, okay? Now, that's, a, that's another idea. When, if you come in with little ones, it's a good idea probably to sit toward the back, you know, and we have a nursery down the hall, but uh, they're gonna get, kids are just going to be kids, and we understand that. So let's, let's give them some slack. Now, where in the world was I? Somewhere in Matthew 14. Somewhere in this place of being content, right, in any set of circumstances that we're in. I'm, can't you say how content I am? I'm just, I am blessed. He came to them walking on the water. He came to them where they were to make his presence known. My brother, my sister, you don't have to holler out to the Lord your GPS coordinates. We don't even have to describe to him the dimensions of the storm. But our cry is, Lord, I need you. Before I start asking him, I need you to fix this. I need you to straighten that out. I need you to do this other. I need you. To, to, to take the dare, to take the dare, of trusting that he, as he makes his presence known, has the ability to give you everything you cannot provide for yourself. There was another storm in Acts chapter 4, and I want you to look over here again with me, Acts Acts chapter 4. We've we've seen this. This is the same Simon Peter. He and John were walking into the temple and a man lame from his mother's womb had never been able to walk. was asking alms or a gift to the poor from them. And that's where Peter and John fixed their eyes on him, Luke records. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Scripture records that he jumped up, leapt up, walking and leaping and praising God. But because he was such a fixture in the temple, because the thousands who came in for their worship in the temple saw him and known him, he'd been there for years, decades probably, When they saw this man who had never walked, walking and leaping and praising God, a crowd gathered around him. Peter stepped up to speak and he explained, it's not by our power, and he goes, it's by the power of Jesus Christ. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that this man has been restored to full health. The result of that was 5,000 men professed their faith in Jesus on that day. It intimidated the religious leaders. The same ones who had been physically, earthly responsible for handing Jesus over to the Romans for crucifixion. The high priest and his lineage, the high priestly family, and then others that were a part of their entourage, this, this leading group, this, this religious senate, the Jewish senate in that day. And they heard about, look at Acts chapter 4. So they were speaking to the people, Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them. Being greatly disturbed, here's a storm, here's another storm, here's another storm, here's another storm for Peter. 
being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, laid hands on Peter and John, and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. It came about on the next day that the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, same ones, same individuals who conspired against Jesus, and in the context of that, Simon Peter denied that he even knew Jesus three times. You remember that. So what in the world has happened? What in the world has happened? Annas, the high priest, was there, Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, filled, filled, filled with who? Filled with the Spirit of the King. Filled with the Spirit of Jesus. Filled to the point unlike alcohol that would affect him in a negative way, emotionally, mentally, volitionally, and physically, now filled with the spirit of the king who is influencing him mentally, emotionally, volitionally, and physically. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers, elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builder but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Where did the confidence come from? Where did the boldness come from? Where did it come from that Simon Peter became different emotionally? It came from the sense of the nearness of the presence of the king. Simon Peter filled with the spirit of Jesus, filled with the spirit of the king. Folks, I'm just telling you, it's all about the sense of his presence. When the storm howls and all of the impossibilities seem to be coming at us from a million different directions, and we, on our own, can, we have the treasure in an earthen vessel, and there's a human part of us that can just freak out. But it's then that we just have to, we just have to step back and look up Lord, I need your presence. I need the sense of your presence. Do not be afraid to ask, Lord, I need to feel the sense of your presence. Not just with the brain. Remember what alcohol does, or some of you may never know what that has ever done, but then that's good. It's good. You have to just read about it somewhere. But how alcohol can affect your emotions. The Spirit of God can and will affect your emotions. In the same way, 
But alcohol comes in to do something at a very at a definite point of injection. So that's why again and again and again, in ways that people could understand, Luke and others would record they were filled with the Spirit. And they went and did this. They were filled with the Spirit. And they went and did this. They were filled with the Spirit. And they stood up under great persecution. They were filled with the Spirit. And they said what they needed to say. It's a function of sense of the presence of the King. That when He is in the house, anything can happen. And nobody can impart this to you but the Spirit of God. No, no, no preacher, no church, no song, no somebody. But I just want to say to you, it may very well be that the reason God has in his amazing love for us and patience with us and wisdom, the reason that he will allow the storms of the unique character and type that they are to engulf us is not because he's asleep somewhere or he doesn't care about us or we've gone too far away from him that he would even want to rescue us. It's that he's wanting to use what's going on as the backdrop, as the stage, if you will, upon which he can step and show you what happens when there was the sense of his presence. Even without the storm softening, even without problems being solved. They walk together, storm's still going crazy, wind's still blowing up. They walk together, and then it says, when they got in the boat, the wind stopped. If the only way we have of, of, of assuming that God is really here is if the wind stopped, read it again. The only way I'll know that God is here is if he solves all my problems, pays all my bills, keeps bad things from happening, read the book again. What if he wants to show you that the power of the, the storm has had emotionally over you up to this point fades dramatically, diminishes exponentially when you have working inside your heart the sense of his presence? So he doesn't give formulas as to how to keep the devil a million miles away, how to get all the bills paid, how to solve every problem. He gives something better than that. The sense of his presence. Lord, I need to know that you're here. Lord, I need to feel you in my heart. The nearness of God. Folks, it, it, the reason that is inescapably important is that he could have just given us the scripture. He could have just given us the written word. And that would have been powerful. But the old covenant was about having written word, of, of knowing what we're supposed to do and how God thinks and how God works. But that's why all of those centuries were set up saying there's a new covenant coming. There's a new way that God has of dealing with people. And it's not going to be just about rules. And it's not just going to be about regulations. It's not just going to be about fear. It's going to be about him coming out of heaven. <laughs> Moving inside the chests and the minds of people. And flexing his moral muscles. And showing the mind of Christ. And setting the captives free from the inside out. This isn't... This isn't a luxury. This is a necessity for a Christian who would walk in victory. And it would not be under the weight that the world tries to put on us. The weight that was scaring the disciples to death. Jesus just was walking across the top of. So instead of the sense, Lord, I'm going to know you're here when you fix everything. What if he's saying... I want you to know I'm here even before anything gets fixed because when that happens, you're going to know it is going to get fixed. You're going to know I've got it. You're going you're to be able to trust me. Confidence. Confidence in him. The nearness of his presence. So, so my prayer is, Lord, it'd be great if you fixed all this. 
But Lord, even if not, if right now in the moment, right now in the time, I'm asking you to make your presence known to me. Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So there he goes, hangs at 11, 12 out. Without even thinking, he was on his way because he was responding to the felt sense of the presence of the king. You can walk out of here lifted. You can walk out of here with a sense free. You can walk out of here with a sense of optimism and hope for the future, even though the wind is still blowing and the storm still besets you. Because you have come to sense that he is here. I can't impart that. But you can ask. And you watch what he'll do. You say, I don't know how it could ever be any better until this stuff gets fixed. I don't know how it could be any better. Well, you just imagine that. I just said, this, this won't be any better. just won't be any better until this wind stops blowing. And then Jesus shows up. And the whole atmosphere changed. The realization that the storm isn't permanent. The storm isn't terminal. The, point, the, the storm isn't going to last forever. When the sense of his presence is manifest, those things become known to you. Otherwise, you feel like you're going to die in your storm. Jesus doesn't die in storms. Jesus walks on the top of storms, and Jesus calms storms when the time is right for his own. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, I just ask you to do it for us. I ask you, please, Lord, to do it for us. Make real, make real to us individually what we've been reading and what we have been talking about this morning. That you would come to us in our storm, in our tight places. And the coming... Lord, it has to mean that it's more than mental. It's more than academic. It's more than ritual. That you would make your presence known so that confidence in you would rise afresh in our hearts so that if we need to wait, we wait. If we need to say something, we say something. If we need to pray in a way, we pray in a way. But it comes out of, it stems from, it is generated by the sense of your nearness in us, to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.